to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel was written by the man named Daniel, approximately 530 B.C. Daniel lived in Babylon, but he, didn't, he wasn't born in Babylon. Daniel actually started in Jerusalem, and at age 17, he was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar during the first of three incursions into the kingdom of Judea. The first incursion, King Nebuchadnezzar captured um, the wealthy and uh, royalty, took them off to Babylon, left a puppet king in place, he subsequently went back two additional times, and the third time he actually completely destroyed Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, um, dispersed the Jews throughout the nations he had captured. In Daniel chapter 1, we read the story of Daniel after he was taken to Babylon. He was enrolled in the University of Babylon, and there Nebuchadnezzar attempted to change his culture, change his religion, change his lifestyle, even changed his name. However, as we find in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chose to remain loyal to God. He chose to continue his abstinence diet. He chose to continue to worship God. He chose to stay loyal to God, and God blessed him. We read at the end of Daniel chapter 1 that he was given a test, and Daniel was found to be 10 times wiser than anyone else taking that test. In fact, he was 10 times wiser than all the wise men of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel and three of his companions into his cabinet. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant general. The people that he conquered, he would then incorporate some of their best and brightest into his own government to represent their nation and thus help prevent rebellion. So that's the reason that Daniel got incorporated into the government of Babylon. But that's not the point of tonight's talk. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, we read a fascinating account of a very scary dream. Now, how many of you have ever had a terrifying nightmare? I know I've had a few where I'm falling off buildings or being chased by bandits, and I wake up, my hair is standing straight up, my heart's beating, all my muscles are contracted, and I'm so thankful it was a dream. But it still can take a good hour to fall back asleep. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, we find in Daniel chapter 2, had dreams, verse 1, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. But as we read the chapter, we discover something terrible. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember his dream. Now, dreams for these kings back then were very important. They thought that somehow dreams would foretell their future. I am very thankful that the dreams I have dreamed do not do that. But the dreams they dreamed, they felt were very important. So he had this dream, and he knew it was important. It was scary, but he couldn't remember it. So what does any good king who needs help do? He called his advisors. And the Bible says the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dream. So they came and stood before the king. 
And the king says, look, I've had this dream. I know it's terrible, but I can't remember it. The Chaldeans and the soothsayers and all the other wise men say, no problem, king. Tell us the dream. We'll give you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and says, look, I just said I can't tell you the dream. You tell me the dream, and then I'll know for sure that you can interpret it. And they said, we can't tell you the dream, king. That is impossible. Only the gods know the dreams, and the gods don't care about us. They've kind of wound this world up and left us. They do not communicate with us. They don't care what happens to us. We can't tell you the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I think you guys are playing with me. If you don't tell me the dream, I'm going to tear you to pieces, and I'm going to make your house a public latrine. And the men say, look, we don't want to get torn to pieces, and we definitely don't want our houses destroyed, but we can't tell you the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'll give you riches and honors if you tell them. They said, we would love that. But this is an impossible request. Well, by now, Nebuchadnezzar, who was already agitated because he couldn't remember the dream, is furious. And he gives the command, which is immediately obeyed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He was an absolute dictator. People lived and died at a word of his command. So the captain of his guard starts rounding up the wise men with the plans to destroy them. Now, in the process... They knock on Daniel's door. Daniel was obviously not invited when the rest of the wise men were called to the king. Knock on Daniel's door. Daniel comes to the door, sees a bunch of crying wise men in chains, wonders what's going on. Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, says, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to take you off. And I'm sorry, but I've given the command to kill you. Daniel says, but why? I was just given this job. Ariok says, I'm really sorry, but the king got really mad because he had this dream and the wise men couldn't interpret it. Daniel says, no problem. Contrary to your gods, my God actually does care what happens to me. My God doesn't actually want me cut in little pieces. Please take me to Nebuchadnezzar. So Ariok, who obviously liked Daniel, takes him to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says, sir, give me time and I will tell you the dream. My God cares about me. And actually, my God cares about you too, and the wise men you're trying to kill. Give me some time. So Nebuchadnezzar says, all right, I'll give you some time. Daniel goes home, has a prayer meeting like no other prayer meeting, I'm sure. And that night, God gives Daniel the same dream that he gave to King Nebuchadnezzar. First thing in the morning, Daniel wakes up, praises God for the dream, and then runs to find Arioch and says, don't destroy the wise men. I have the dream. Their lives are going to be spared. So Arioch rushes him off to Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar, with bated breath, waits for the interpretation. And we read in Daniel 26, Daniel 2, verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. 
your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And I can just imagine Nebuchadnezzar sitting on the edge of his seat, waiting to see if there truly was a God that could actually see what he was dreaming. As Daniel continues, As for you, O king, thoughts came to you on your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your hearts. Daniel saying, look, God not only gave me the dream, but this is what you were thinking just before you had the dream. And every Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, that's right. That is what I was thinking. And then Daniel says, but God didn't just give this dream because he, for only your sake, he gave it for my sake and for the sake of those wise men you wanted to cut up. And then he goes to say the dream. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image had a head of gold, belly, and, excuse me, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Then the king watched as a great stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, struck the image on the feet, and the whole image dissolved into a million pieces. Those pieces were then blown away by a great wind, and the stone started to grow and grow and grow until it was a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. And the king's sitting on his edge of his seat. He says, yes, that's right. That's exactly what I dreamed. Now, Daniel, what does it mean? And Daniel says this, verse 36. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Verse 37. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. 
Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. And after that, the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar fell flat on his face and praised the God of Daniel. So there we have the prophecy. Well, let's see if it came to pass. Well, let's go through and see if what God said was going to happen has happened. So let's look first at the head of gold. Because what did the Bible say the head of gold represented? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. It says, you, O king, are a king of kings. You are the head of gold. So we have the head of gold, Babylon. And Babylon was um, really brought into prominence by King Nebuchadnezzar. You can see the extent of Babylon here. And was in power, Nebuchadnezzar was in power till approximately 530-ish B.C. After his death, however, his sons and subsequent successors were not nearly the amazing general and powerful man he was. There was a rapid decline in the nation, and in October 539 B.C., Cyrus, who was leading the combined forces of the Medes and the Persians, diverted the great river Euphrates that ran through Babylon. The gates to Babylon that actually went through the river had been carelessly left open. Cyrus was able to lead his troops into the city of Babylon, completely surprised the Babylonians who thought their city was impregnable and destroyed the um, Babylonian empire in one night. Babylon fell to Cyrus the Persian. Darius the Mede actually took the throne, but it's remembered as the Persian empire because the Median, Medes and Persians, Persians far outnumbered the Medes. So the next kingdom was Medo-Persia. So far, the dream is being accurately fulfilled. Medo-Persia, as you can see, had a slightly larger extent. It wasn't as rich an empire, just as silver is not as valuable as gold, but it was stronger than Babylon, just as silver is stronger than gold. However, Medo-Persia did not rule the world forever. After Medo-Persia came the armies of Greece. And in 331 BC, at the Battle of Gagamala, Alexander the Greece absolutely decimated the Persian forces, defeated Persia, and Greece became the prominent empire of the then known world. Alexander the Great conquered the world by the time he was 33 years old, but he couldn't conquer his own passions, and he died of either liver failure due to chronic alcohol use or a slow poisoning at the age of 33. His kingdom was divided among his four generals, but continued until AD, or excuse me, until 146 BC, when Greece was officially made a province of Rome and ceased to exist as a worldwide power. So far, the dream is accurate. We have had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and now Rome, the legs of iron. 
And the vision described Rome as you saw the, excuse me, the fourth kingdom strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And if any of you have ever studied your history books about Rome, that's exactly what Rome did. The legions of Rome were unstoppable. They had an amazing form of government. They had a representative government. They had taxation system. Much of our government today, we actually get from Rome. But Rome did not last forever. Unlike, though, the previous kingdoms, which had been succeeded by or followed by a, another kingdom, Rome was not followed by another kingdom. Instead, internal corruption with external invasion dissolved the kingdom into about 10 different fragments, seven of which form the modern nations of Europe today. Just as the vision said, and it says, as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And that's what we see today. There are some countries in Europe that are very, very strong, and there are others that are very weak. The, the vision also said, iron mixed with ceramic, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seeds of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. There have been multiple attempts to reunite Europe. They have all failed. Queen Victoria was at one point related to almost half the monarchs. The seed of men did not cleave. Napoleon tried to reunite Europe. He considered himself another Caesar. He did not succeed. World War I, World War II with Hitler, all attempts to reunite Europe. They did not succeed. So far, the prophecy has been fulfilled with unerring accuracy. But there is still one event to come. The event where in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That rock, which is to be cut out without hands and strike the image in the feet, that event is still to come. But I know that as Babylon has fallen, and Medo-Persia has come and gone, and Greece has come and gone, Rome has come and gone. These divided kingdoms will also come and, gone, come and go. We are standing on the verge of the second coming of Jesus Christ, who is going to come and destroy our worldly kingdoms and create a kingdom that is never to be destroyed. The gods of the Babylonians did not care about them. They didn't care if they were cut into pieces. They weren't there to help them. But Daniel's God does care. Daniel's God cared about a pagan king who didn't know him and that a pagan king was wondering about the future. Daniel's God cared. Daniel's God cared for those heathen wise men who couldn't understand the dream and were about to be unfairly punished for something they couldn't control. God's Daniel cared. God, um, Daniel's God cared. And Daniel's God cares for each one of you here. You see, 
As I have found that this book can both be internally and externally validated, I have studied this book. And I have found a God in this book that claims to be the only true God and is desperately in love with each person that he says he has created. And I have chosen to stake my life on this book. It has given me something to live for, and it has given me something to die for. I urge each of you, study this book and learn to love the God of this book. He loves you, and you will love him.